Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, September the 8th, 2021. This is episode 2951 of the Survival Podcast. And today we have an interview with Dion de la Botle. What the heck is that? That is a, uh, it's a pen name for a really cool guy that, that wrote a really cool book explaining why government is the biggest scam in history. He's also, uh, the name comes from, well, I'm not going to tell you. I'll let our guest explain the origin of the name, where it came from, and uh, why he chose it as his uh, pen name when we bring Etwan on in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. That's right, KnifeKits.com. I really think that knife kits gives the easiest entryway from a person that's never made a knife to a person that can say, look at the first knife that I've ever made myself, to the person that says, look at all the knives that I've made and look at the skill or the hobby or even small business I've built. Uh, it's up to you how far you want to go with it. I would say that it's worth probably getting some kits, learning how to do this just to make knives with either if you have a parent with your kids or your grandkids or your nieces or your nephews. Because I know if I had a knife that I had made with my grandfather, uh, it would be a priceless thing that I would keep forever, regardless of if it was the first one and it wasn't exactly perfect or anything like that. I wouldn't care. And knife kits makes it easy. Anyone can do it, even me. The basic kits are really fundamentally easy. Basically, you get some handle material and the rest of the knife's already built and you do the final fit and finish and sharpening. Or you can take it down to buying like raw materials like Damascus steel or exotic handle materials, anything in between, your own bolsters and all, and making a knife completely from scratch. It's all up to you, but you can find it all at knifekits.com. Next up today, the Free State Project. Um, it's an interesting thing that our, our guest today is uh, actually deeply involved with the Free State Project, and that's not why FSP is our sponsor today. It just came up in the rotation this way. But I've been involved with the Free State Project, supporting their work since almost since I first started. I'd say it was about 2009 that I first uh, got linked up with them. I've, I've spoken at Liberty Forum like three times, and you know my belief is that we should support operations and projects like Free State Project, even if we're not going to eventually go to New Hampshire, because liberty anywhere is good for liberty everywhere. The shining example of liberty becomes contagious and it spreads. And if you want to know more about the Free State Project and you're like, you know what, I haven't taken my vacation this year, how about go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH. Take a vacation to the wonderful White Mountains of New Hampshire, or New Hampshire's amazing but relatively short coastline, or the, the farm countryside of New Hampshire. It's a beautiful state with amazing history, and it's just a, a wonderful place to go in the fall. Are you kidding me? The, the leaves, etc., and we're heading into that period now. And if you go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH, you can find out how to hook up with local members of the Free State Project, not to get politically active, but just to get to know people and maybe find out about things the average tourist doesn't see. Check them out today at fsp.org. And again, if you want to take the vacation and get hooked up with them, forward slash visit NH. And with that, hey, Etienne, welcome to the Survival Podcast. It is good to be with you and your audience. 
Hey man, I, I, I've really been looking forward to this interview since, uh, since I got your request to be on. Uh, well, what struck me initially was the uh, name. Entienne de la Bote, is that how you say it, or, or what have you? Like, and can you kind of explain Buitini. the reasoning behind that 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 pen name? Sure. The original Etienne de la Bote was uh, a French political philosopher. He wrote in the 16th century, and he was one of the first to really uh, catalog the little tricks and techniques that rulers use, not just to get obedience, but to get fealty and adoration from the people to trick them into wanting a ruler to love their servitude to uh to enslave themselves in essence well great man um and what made you decide you wanted to use a pen name like that like when i got this application i looked up some of the, your interviews and things like that mm -hmm. where you've been on some other folks uh, shows where you're on video so you're not hiding your face or anything. Does it still give you some level of anonymity or is there some reason to use a pen name? So, uh, so I'm, uh, I have kids and I'm divorced and my okay. kids are, one of my kids is in the government school system. And so I'm trying to keep the heat off of them for what dad is doing. Cause one of the things I'm doing in the book, government, the biggest scam in history exposed is exposing the hidden curriculum of the government school system including sliding the belief in government to the population as a religion, as a kind of pseudo religion. And so if you want to just get right into it, we, we could, but uh, <laughs> the thesis of the book is that, you know, government is always illegitimate. It can, you can never have a legitimate government. You can't delegate rights that you don't have yourself to a representative to represent you doing something you don't have the ability to do yourself. You can't be bound by us to a social contract that you didn't sign. And uh, if democracy, if, you know, my fiance and I can't vote to rob you because there's two of us and one of you, uh, it doesn't matter if there's three of us or 250 million of us, nothing is going to take something that's inherently immoral and make it moral. And so government has been the biggest scam in history, and it's been the subtitle of the book is How Intergenerational Organized Crime Runs the Government and the Media. And it's a, and I'm about to come out with the fifth edition, and I'm going to rechange it to how the government runs the government, the media, or how or, intergenerational organized crime runs the government, the media, and academia. And that's really the name of the game is that we've got an organized crime system that has been sliding the population, the belief that government is legitimate, necessary, and desirable as a pseudo-religion by controlling the information people receive, whether that's controlling it through the mandatory government school where you go to, you know, where the priest, the teacher, uh, you know, teaches you about the holy documents of the <laughs> constitution and the bill of rights and has you do the common prayer of the pledge of allegiance and has you sing the, the hymns of the star spangled banner and takes you to Washington DC Mecca, you know, in uh, kind of eighth grade on a field trip. And they take you into the cathedral of the capital that looks like the Vatican for a reason. And they take you to the temples and they show you the deities and uh, it's all very hushed and reverent. And then the media is reinforcing that with, you know, product placing the American flag into, you know, movies and television shows at moments of high positive emotion. And, and, uh, you know, they weave the flag into the burial uh, you know, routine of the military to make you associate the flag with the, the loved one of your deceased. And there's all these just like little tricks and techniques that they use. And so that's kind of what I do. 
that kind of goes right into my first question for you off, off of my notes here. Um, maybe you can expand on it. Why is government in of itself a scam? Um, I don't disagree with anything that you just said, by the way. In fact, I'm probably harder on them than you are. But when you use a word like scam, the average person goes, well, what do you mean it's a scam? It's there. It exists, right? And mm-hmm. I think on some levels it it really doesn't exist. It, it does in the in the form of force, but this this kind of overriding idea that there is this authority outside of yourself mm-hmm. over you, to me, that that's part of it. Is that what you're talking about? Is there more to it? Well, that's definitely it. And like I said, you know, you can never have a legitimate government. It's 100% if, you know, there was five of us on an island, you know, and we crashed on the island. There's no way that three people, you know, can vote themselves the ability to use violence on the other two legitimately and morally. And so it doesn't matter if they all sign a piece of paper. It doesn't matter if they have a voting ritual. It doesn't, you know, matter whatever it is. And so what uh, this intergenerational organized crime system has done is that they have tricked the population into going along with something that is obviously immoral and illogical and doesn't make any sense. The idea that, you know, a couple dozen slave owners, politicians and lawyers can go into a room on a continent of three million people and write down on a fancy piece of paper that they alone get to steal the wealth of others and make up rules for everybody. I mean, when you, you know, when you break it down to its bare essence, that is ridiculous. And if you can't delegate rights that you don't have yourself to a representative or to a government to represent you doing something you don't have the ability to do yourself, then where did government get the ability to do things that we don't have? They have just made it up and then they have indoctrinated it into the population through the mandatory government schools or private schools that have to, you know, meet uh, the accreditation standards or, you know, just, you know, custom, et cetera. And so what we're doing with the book, uh, Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed is we're showing you what that playbook is and we're pulling back the curtain on how the magician does the trick. And then once you understand how the magician does the trick, you can't get fooled by the trick. Yeah, absolutely. It actually makes me think of some of the, uh, there was a magic show called The Masked Magician. And the, the, the magicians that were part of actually the mass magician, like he took some real heat for this because he would show mm-hmm. how the tricks are done. And he said it was because he, this totally different subject, but it's, it's the same analogy. Like he loved magic and magic was becoming boring mm-hmm. because nobody was trying for new illusions or anything anymore. So he would show these tricks and like, well, you're right. Like once you see the trick, then you can watch the trick. And even if the guy's perfect at it, you mm-hmm. still know how it was done. Right. And that's yeah. how government goes. I guess the one thing I, I would, differ with you slightly on with what you just said though was when you went to this island thing and there's there's five of us there right i i think at that point yeah you could have a situation where one or two end up in charge of the others and it is legitimate because in that case those others would have the ability to enter into a contract right like to me that yeah. that would be what they so if they entered into a contract it would be legitimate if we took a vote and I didn't want to vote. I didn't want to be part of this shit. I'm like, I don't want to listen to any of you assholes. Just leave me alone. I'm going to do my own thing. They said, well, we're voting anyway. And they, they elect some guy named Tom. And now Tom's over me. To me, that's illegitimate because I didn't agree to it. You're, and, you nailed it. So so you can have government. So I'm a voluntarist. And the word voluntarist means that, you know, that everything, all human relations must be voluntary, to your point. 
that it's perfectly legitimate so you can have governance without being government. Government is the monopoly of force uh, over, uh, you know, a, a, a given ge- geographical area. And essentially, you know, the government in Washington, D.C. says that we have this monopoly on violence over, you know, this entire country and that we get to make up the rules and everybody has to do what we say or we get to hurt them. And that is illegitimate. But you can, you know, you can enter into a homeowners association where you say, hey, we're all going to be bound by the rules of the homeowner association. Nobody is going to, you know, have put 10 cars in their front driveway to drive down the, you know, the housing cost, everybody else, or, you know, like, you, you know, you, and this is how we're going to pay for the roads and this is how we're going to do this. And you can enter in voluntarily and that's fine. That's governance. It's government that is always illegitimate and it's government that is being used to rob and tax farm the population. And that's really, you know, the other thing we expose in the book is it's, you know, Washington, D.C. is now hardcore intergenerational organized crime, you know, taken over and they are robbing the population and they're robbing the population, whether they're handing trillions of dollars to private banks and private companies through the bailouts and the stimulus, whether it's the $14,000 toilet seats whether it's the the $400,000 F-35 helmets, whether it's the $6 billion in physical cash missing from uh, Iraq, whether it's the Pentagon's Bishop's Fund scandal, whether it's the trillions of dollars that, you know, they can't be accounted for from the, the you know, the Pentagon, uh, you know, whether it's the Fat Leonard scandal, whether, you know, go on and on and on. So when you use the term intergenerational organized crime, it really is kind of the key that unlocks uh, all the locks and makes sense of what's going on in Washington, D.C. And then you can see the world through this new and improved lens and realize, oh, we're getting robbed. They're, it's not legitimate that they get to rule us. And then that explains the the debt that explains, you know, uh, you know, what's going on with the COVID, et cetera. It's, we got an organized crime system. They're running the media and academia, hierarchically controlling the information people receive either through the monopolization of the media, the algorithmic censorship of the DARPA internet or you know, the, the hierarchical control of information from the WHO through the CDC, through the, the uh, state health departments to the local health departments, you know, this hierarchical command and control system is what is, uh, what is robbing the population. Agree completely. Before we dig more into what's going on now, let's go back to your island analogy for an instant, mm-hmm. for a minute, though, because I think there's some interesting thoughts there. So let's say it wasn't five of us. Let's say it was 500 of us uh, shipwrecked mm-hmm. and we're on this island and we can't figure out how to get off. It's like lost or something. And, but yep. there's no others, right? It's just us. And, and we all agree. Everybody agrees we're going to have a system of governance. And we all sign a contract that says this is going to be the rules that we follow. This is how we're going to determine who our leadership is. And we all did that. And the multi-generational thing is what has me thinking this way. So we do what men and women do, and we make babies, and then they make babies. And, like, we're all dead, and our great-grandchildren are still on this island. To Mm -hmm. me, unless they have agreed to our original contract at some point of coming of age or something like that where they understood it, and I'm yep. not going to get hung up on a number like 18. That happens to be what we tend to use for most things, but not all in our study. But there, there, you know, there obviously is a point like a five year old should not be able to commit to something for life because they don't know what that means. 
So unless our, our prodigy recommitted to this voluntarily, our original contract should basically mean what, a term I use all the time. So it means the square root of fuck all is to binding my great grandchild to my agreement. That doesn't seem like something that I do have the ability to say, okay, I'm willing to take some of my personal sovereignty and sign it over to you because I trust you. Mm-hmm. I can make that choice. I can't make that choice for my son, let alone my great grandchild or my great great grandchild. And that's this, um, this mythical social contract that I have yet anybody to show me mm-hmm. and certainly show me any place where I have agreed to it or I've signed it. No, no, I agree completely. I mean, if you, you know, if you own a home and you're in a homeowners association and your son comes of age, uh, and he's now 18 years old and he, you know, doesn't want to abide by the rule or he inherits the house or whatever. Well, you know, he has to sell the house and move, you know, which is, you know, his right, you know, whatever, but, but he, you know, he can't just go and violate that, that, that agreement. And so, uh, uh, but he also can't be bound by it too. So he has the ability to sell the house and move and go find some place to live where maybe the rules are more amenable and he does want to have 10 cars in the, in the front yard and whatever, so, right? Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, you know, he, because the, the, the agreement is subject to the property, not to the individual in that situation. Right. I mean, yes, and, correct. And so you wrote this book about this and for the podcast for audio only, but we will have a video of this. So maybe we'll use it somewhere. This is a copy of your book. Uh, government, the biggest scam in history. What made you decide to write this book? So, you know, like I mentioned that my, you know, my kids were in the government school system and I was watching them run game on my kids. And so there's all these like little, you know, so there's, there's a hidden curriculum in the government school system. Number one of them, it's this hidden religion of statism, the idea that government is legitimate, desirable and necessary. And this is how we rule you. And this is how you're going to pay your taxes. And you have to do whatever the, the, you know, the government says, even if you, if it's to go and get conscripted and go kill people in a war based on lies and manufactured intelligence, you've got to, you know, snap your heels together and go murder people for this government. You know, that, you know, there's also uh, a, a kind of a debility, a obedience component. And the obedience component is, you know, they'll have the red, yellow, green troublemaker boards where anytime a kid, you know, they'll have all the names in the class will be in this little green field. And anytime one kid says anything, they'll move his, his name up into the yellow field. And, uh, and they were, and then if he says anything else, he goes into red. And so every kid that stands up or objects or, you know, you know, it's, you've got to get the government's permission to go to the bathroom. You've got to get the government's position, you know, permission to stand up in the lunchroom. You've got, you know, it's this, this obedient system where you're being conditioned into obedience to the government from a very, very young age, socializing the police with the dare program and with school resource, you know, officers, they were, they were using collective punishment, uh, on the kids and my kids school, they're publicly, they were using public shaming. There was a table that you had to go to in the lunchroom where you got publicly shamed. They were using collective punishment where they had, uh, where they had a, a, a tabletop thing in the, in the, on every table, uh, in the lunchroom. And if one kid talked, then they would flip the, it would, it, they would flip it over to yellow. And if one, if the kid talked again, they'd flip it over to red and they'd punish everybody at the table. And so they're, you know, they're taking the, you know, the, I don't know if you've heard the book, the wildest 
colts make the best stallions, yeah. but they're breaking down the wildest colts, and they're there's they're they're and it's unethically manipulative and it's creepy, and I just got furious that they were running game on my children, and so I decided to expose to my kids the way the you know the system worked. And then once I realized the way that I did it, you know, I'm uh, using these visual images and visualizations and historical photos. I realized how successful that was with other people. Then I kind of uh, then I developed the book to, you know, to be able to take people from kind of zero to 60 to wake up your friends, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, and to be able to have a book that was so engaging visually that you can't put it down and that would bring people to that moment of insight because it's exposing the, you know, repetition of the techniques or exposing the historical pattern or, or making what was invisible visible through visualization. And so, uh, so then the, you know, it, 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 that's, that's really where it took on a life of its own because I, you know, I think I've got the most successful book for waking somebody up to how the system works because it is so visual and compelling. So have you ever noticed, it seems to me that like when you go to like the grade school level, like we're talking about now, and you have this conformity, this obedience structure that they've put in place. I'm not talking about the kid that was the bully that beat everybody up on the playground or whatever, but the kid that never got broke, the kid that was a a problem kid Mm -hmm. through the entire gritty of grade school and high school. And they, they eventually got out and the teacher was like, Damn it, I'm glad they're gone. Like, they don't seem to excel right out of the gate, but in life they seem to accomplish more, do more, and be more successful than their peers. They're they're the people that end up podcasting for a living and make six figures, right? I mean, like, and everybody I know that I would consider, like, a contemporary peer with me from a socioeconomic status was the problem freaking kid in school. The, The people that really succeed, and, like, I'm not saying you can't make money by conforming. Plenty of them do, but... The people that go out and do their own thing their own way and succeed seem to be the rebels, the ones that that don't conform. And that that should make people, if they would sit back for a second and just ponder that, say, if that's the case, then maybe what we're doing isn't really in the best interest of individuals at all or even society. Because the more successful people you have, the more successful your society. Now, the wildest cults make the best stallions. And the people that aren't, you know, willing to conform, that can't be broken, you know, uh, that can't be broken by the system, of course, they're going to do well in whatever, whatever situation that they're, they're thrown into because they're the ones that think outside the box. They're the ones that see through the, the mythology of the, of the BS and, you know, and, and can think for themselves. And so the government has been trying to eradicate that you know, since time immemorial. And so I agree with you completely. Uh, it's good to be a rebel. Yeah, my my old man used to say that their goal was the complete and total domestication of the human being, that, that what they wanted more than anything else was to domesticate the man, like yeah. so that we are literally livestock and so that we will conform to and be the way they want us to be and also see them as necessary. So, like, what I've talked about doing this before, like, if you want to domesticate an animal, let's say you want to, like, wild pigs will kill you. They will flat out kill you. They don't give a shit, right? They And they will tear you up. But if you find a sow with piglets that are very, very young, and you pop the sow or just chase her off, 
and you catch those little piglets and you put them in a cage and you feed them every day and you separate them from their parents, in one or two generations, you've got pigs that will follow you around like a dog right up to the day that you slaughter them. And yeah. that's domestication. And it seems like the exact formula they use with human beings. So this is great. I'm going to read. I'm going to read. So in the very back of Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed, I have some quotes from the original Etienne de la Buetti, uh, the original Etienne de la Buetti. And I'm going to read two that I think just two quotes. And this, he was writing this in the 15th century and it could, it, he might as well have been writing it today. But here, number one is men are like handsome racehorses who first bite the bit and later like it. And rearing under the saddle a while, soon learn to enjoy displaying their harness and prance proudly beneath their trappings. Men will grow accustomed to the idea that they have always been in subjection and that their fathers live the same way. They will think they are obliged to suffer this evil and will persuade themselves by example and imitation of others, finally investing those who order them around with proprietary rights based on the idea that it has always been this way. Yeah, it might as well have been written yesterday. It, it really now, yeah. it, gets it gets better. Bad. Okay. So there's one more quote. Okay. But there are always a few better endowed than others who feel the weight of the yoke and cannot restrain themselves from attempting to shake it off. These are the men who never become tamed under subjection. These are, in fact, the men who, possessed of clear minds and far-sighted spirit, are not satisfied like the brutish mass to see only what is at their feet, but rather look about them, behind and before, and even recall the things of the past in order to judge those of the future and compare both with their present condition. These are the ones who, having good minds of their own, have further trained them by study and learning, even if liberty had entirely perished from the earth, such men would invent it. For them, slavery has no satisfactions, no matter how well disguised. Yeah. I, it, it makes me think of the, the, the comparison I've always used to the American people of today is a cow. Mm -hmm. And I used to just leave it at that, and the cow gets milk, and the cow actually likes being milked, right? Yeah. And the more I thought about it, one day I was watching a thing on uh, Africa with my, my grandson, and they were uh, showing the Maasai and how the Maasai live. And the Maasai don't want to ever kill the cow because the cows measure their wealth. You kill your cow, your wealth goes down, right? So, But they want to get protein and all the nutrients they need from the cow. So not only do they milk the cow, they bleed the cow. They tap a little hole in the side of the cow and they bleed and they mix the blood and the milk together and they consume that and they get a full nutritional profile that way. And they, you know, they do eventually like, okay, this, this cow's going out. It's time for this cow to go, but they try to preserve the total head count mm -hmm. of their cattle. And then they, they feed off their milk and their blood. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? He's seven. I don't really think he's going to understand exactly how our government, that is our government right there but it was you know and it was like so i started describing the american people instead of sheep we're like the matzai cattle they bleed us they milk us and then somehow we keep following them around and we tend to enjoy it due to that domestication process and then there are those of us that are like no you know but i think even even those of us that are like willing to fight back we have to realize if we went through that system and this is what my video this morning was about um we are still subject to that program. We still have to catch ourselves. 
Yeah. The, the last night, my wife and I were watching the the TV or the whatever streaming series Yellowstone, and there's mm-hmm. a character in it that's a Native American woman, and she gets a job teaching at a college. And she she wanted to teach native history or something like that, and like they had a delay in it, and she had to like they're like we'll give you a class to teach until we're ready for that. They gave her American history from Columbus to the independence of America. It's like whoa, okay, you're going to get some shit now. And she read this piece to the class on the first day from Columbus's own journal mm-hmm. about the people that he found in, in on the first island that they they went to. And he talked about how that they were so ignorant of their technology. He showed them a sword and they cut their hand on it, touching it because they didn't know what it was and how they would make fine slaves. And when she read that, I was like, I would teach that the exact I would use the same words. I would explain it the same way. It's still I had that little thing in my neck going, you know, like this is wrong. You know, even though I know it's the truth, that is in all of us to a degree that we need to recognize when we have that visceral reaction to go inside and figure out where that's coming from so that we can make the right decisions for ourselves going forward. And the other thing I was kind of struck with that is what he called ignorance, it was like a mirror showing him his own ignorance. Like Here you have a people that were so, so well off as far as being able to care for themselves and each other that they, they had no concept of a sword. They didn't know what a blade was. And somehow they had a functioning society without without knowing what a blade was. And, and to me, that was the triggers was not recognizing because there is this over romanization of uh, Native American culture and stuff like that. And there was plenty of warfare. But apparently this group of people on this island left to themselves had worked out where you and I started this conversation, how to coexist without the need of force. Yeah, yeah. One of my uh, buddies from high school is the writer and director of Yellowstone, so that's kind of interesting. But uh, in the book, in the book, in my book, Government: The Biggest Scam in History Exposed, I actually, you know, break down the fact that you know that what when the the American, the Native Americans, once we had conquered them and stolen their land, what's the first thing that we did to them? We put them into the government school and we began running government on them. And so we put them into these Indian boarding schools, uh, and within one generation, we had taken the once proud, free American people, and we turned them into taxpayers and order followers in a single generation. And that really is the power of being able to take you know, people when they're young and to put them into this indoctrination system and control the information they receive with this monopoly media and the algorithmic censorship of the DARPA internet. If you're controlling the information that people receive, you can program them like a computer. And, uh, and I, I feel, you know, it's, I feel bad for, you know, the majority of the population. They've been hit with this program. I call it them the fluoridated, vaccinated, government schooled, corporate food eating, television watching, dumbed down public. And if you don't understand that there's a debilitation program, if you don't understand that you got to get the fluoride out of the water, if you don't understand that you can't eat the processed garbage food, then you're going to be hit by this kind of chemical well, where, you know, warfare program. Uh, if you don't know to avoid the vaccines, you know, that are laced with mercury and aluminum phosphate and aluminum hydroxide and graphene oxide and, you know, God and polysorbate 80 and God knows what else. Then you're, you know, you're going to, you, you know, you're, you're never going, you might never, you know, make it to the ability, you know, the cognitive ability to understand what we're even talking about right now. Yeah. 
I want you to think of how, how powerful that programming that they executed on Native Americans actually is. There's a, there's a guy in that series that's a Native American, and he's got all the time, he's got his cap on. And I, I can't tell you how many Native Americans I've seen with this very thing. And it's, it's a, a cap referencing his service in the Vietnam War and his medals and everything. Yeah. And at the same time, he's talking about how, how wrongly treated his people have been. Yeah. And what have you. And I just think, okay, so now you act, and it's not like, it's not like saying, Hey, look, I was there. It's, there's a pride in the fact of that service. And so you're basically saying you have pride in serving the same entity that was the force that took your land from you while so you recognize that it was wrong. Right. And like, I'm not saying like anybody shouldn't be allowed to, 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 to believe, think, or do anything they want, but there's a, there's a juxtaposition there. There's an irony there that's yeah. very deep. And it, when I was watching, kudos to your buddy that was part of that. Cause when I watched that, it, it, it did hit me how many times I've seen that same thing. That exact World War II, Vietnam, Korea, whatever, very, very proud of their vet, vet veteran service. Um, And yet, hey, look at all the things the government did to my people. And it's like there should be some understanding that there's a there's an issue there. Right. I'm not trying to step on anybody here. I'm just saying there's an issue there. So men are like handsome racehorses who first bite the bit and later like it and rearing under the saddle a while soon learn to enjoy displaying their harness and prounce proudly beneath their trappings. And so you're, you know, you're absolutely right. I think Napoleon said, you know, men will throw themselves on bayonets for a piece of tin. And, uh, you know, it, it really is, um, uh, it, it's the, you know, if you don't, if you're born into the system and you're raised and you're indoctrinated and you go through, especially for the military. And so I break it down in the book. There's, you know, the, the government, the uh, mandatory government school is kind of the first level of indoctrination. And that produces a taxpayer who's willing to semi-voluntarily tithe a portion of his earnings. But then there's another program for what are called the order followers. And the order followers are the police and the military who are willing to set their morality aside and either use violence on peaceful people in wars based on lies and manufactured intelligence or to, you know, to, uh, you know, raise revenue on their friends and neighbors at the police level. And that order follower program starts with, you know, the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, the Explorers, the JROTC, the ROTC, uh, military training, police tr- training, and that they're going, and then there's a whole nother level of unethically manipulative little tools and techniques that are, you know, used on the Scouts from, you know, giving them awards, Cub Scout, uh, adventure loops and Boy Scout merit badges for, you know, reciting back how to be a good citizen, citizenship in the nation, citizenship in the world. And I was a Cub Scout and I was a Boy Scout and I had to, you know, I'm, you know, I had to get, you know, uh, you know, out of it. And I'm not saying that there's not good things about scouting, but 99% of rat poison is good food. And so it, it literally the, you know, the good food, it's the worm wrapped around the hook. And then, you know, once you go through the Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Explorers, you know, uh, JROTC, ROTC, and they're running, you know, these different, you know, levels of unethically manipulative techniques. And now they've got you in the uniform, the single form conformity. They're, they're, uh, you know, segmenting you off 
uh, from the rest of the population to military bases where they're controlling the information that they that they receive. The Marine Corps takes the doors off of the toilets and basic training so that you never, ever can even have a moment to sit back by yourself alone and say, what am I doing? What are they doing to me? You know, never have a moment of, of like, you know, like reflection and all of these techniques, they're, they're unethically manipulative and they're, they're, they've been designed over time to produce people that can't think for themselves that literally, you know, they they, they've, they've had this drilled into them and all they can do is, is follow orders and you can't reason with them and look what's happening in Australia. Look what's happening with these lockdowns. Look like, you know, they're willing to bankrupt their friends and neighbors. They're willing to bankrupt local businesses. They're willing to throw people into, you know, to jail for invisible boogeymen. Uh, you know, we, we've got an obedience problem and it's because the government is running, you know, unethically manipulative classic textbook cult indoctrination techniques on the population through the mandatory government schools, through these government affiliated scouting programs, through the, you know, the police and the military training. And so we're waking people up by, like I said, you know, nobody likes to get chumped. And once you understand how the magician does the trick, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. I, I didn't understand that this was a playbook and somebody's running game on me. But once they understand it, you would be surprised how many people that, you know, that my book, they've gotten mad when they realize, Hey, somebody has chumped me. Somebody's run game on me and now they're ticked. Well, and it's, it's difficult to get them to that point because they also like things you and I are saying there. Even people in this audience are, they're having emotional, visceral, defensive responses here. And I think. Them as a religion. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the media. We're blasphemers, and, yeah. right? We're the blasphemers, yeah. right? Because we dare speak against the orthodoxy. And I understand what you're saying about the, the indoctrination from childhood forward. I went to Catholic school. Right, that's probably educated in Catholic school. We we but we did the the prayer to the flag every day in addition to the prayers to the saints and the prayers to God. Uh, and, and I was a Boy Scout and I joined the Army and I was in the Airborne. Right, mm-hmm. so I understand all this. And I, I think sometimes it's important to tell people that not not the way we were talking about earlier with the display, but because I, I think you get a little more leeway to speak against things when you say I'm a product of these things. So yeah, I'm not yeah, speaking yeah. in ignorance because a lot of these people right now that, that would hear this and get upset by what we're saying, would, would, we're not saying that the teacher in your school is consciously aware of the brainwashing indoctrination she's yep. she's doing to your children. She thinks she's doing the right thing. The the guy running your scout troop certainly isn't doing that, but he's he's working a system that was handed down and given to him. And even the person that creates the system in the first place may not even understand how well it fits. But what happens is the people that are really running the show, they do understand all this. And even if something completely organically forms due to a product of what they've created, the ones that they kind of like create this hierarchy around or this support for are the ones that fit their agenda. So it doesn't mean everybody in the public school system is an evil bastard. We're not saying that. What we're saying is the public school system is programming your children to be obedient slaves. Now, yeah. yes. if, and, if that upsets you, you're probably an obedient slave. Uh, I was, like I said, I, I was a Cub Scout. I was a Boy Scout. 
Um, I used to make a muscle when I saluted the flag. I would, you know, I would literally make a muscle while I was saluting the flag. It took me a while to figure somebody had to explain how the game worked to me. And then once I realized I'm like, I'm like, Oh man, they got me. They chumped me. But then now I am wiser today than I was then. And now I'm not falling for it. I'm not going along with it. And I am, I've, you know, I'm explaining to others how the, the, the rigged game works so they can extricate themselves, their kids, their friends, their family, their loved ones. And this is a revolution that's only going in one direction because once you realize how the magician does the trick, you don't fall for the trick anymore. So you've used the term quite a few times now, intergenerational organized crime, mm-hmm. uh, and it controlling both media and academia and I'd say government as well. Um, yep. Now, what do you mean by that? Because if I was the reincarnation of Al Capone, I might want to kick your ass for insulting me right now, right? Like, like these people in some ways are so much worse than what we think of as organized crime. Uh, yeah, so I use uh, the original organized crime I call monarchy, and monarchy was you're going to, you know, you're going to do what we say or we're going to hurt you. And then monarchy, you know, began bringing in, you know, the psychologists like Machiavelli and, you know, and, and began developing these little techniques and tricks to be able to get the population to go along with having a ruling class. And so when the divine right of kings was no longer in favor and was kind of falling apart, they developed democracy to trick the population into thinking that they have some kind of say in the system and that they, you know, voted these people in, et cetera. But because it's organized crime, people willing, and when I say organized crime, I mean people willing to use violence, extortion, deceit, lies, et cetera. You know, we'll go ahead and give them an election, but we're always going to control the outcome of the election because we're cheating, because we're using, we're controlling the media. And that's the other thing the book, you know, really breaks down is it's been the government and the media working together since time immemorial. I take it back to the, you know, the quote unquote founding of the country where the Federalists were censoring anti-Federalist mail and they were, uh, they were buying off the stenographers at the, at the, uh, ratification debates so that they only transcribed the speeches of the Federalists and not the speeches of the anti-Federalists. And they famously collapsed the Pennsylvania Herald, a newspaper that was just, wasn't, you know, necessarily pro anti-federalist was just reporting on what was really going on at the uh, ratification debates and that they couldn't have that. And so it's this, so it's, it's uh, the, you know, the rulers going back to the Greeks who would send forth troops of actors, you know, into the hinterland and perform in these amphitheaters that still exist on the European continent today and would deliver the, you know, the message of the capital city, you know, in drama, you know, this, this goes back a long time and so uh it's people willing to use uh you know deception and and distraction when you call it organized crime the other reason i use organ- that i use intergenerational organized crime number 1 because it is but number 2 is that again that's the the lock that you know the key that unlocks all the locks when you use new world order or deep state or globalists or elitists i i believe these are purposefully unhelpful and purposefully undescriptive terms. Uh, the Department of Justice doesn't have a department of doing something about the deep state. But if you call it 
intergenerational organized crime, then all of a sudden there is an expectation yeah. Yeah. that DOJ and the FBI and the good people that work, you know, and I, you they're know, doing their jobs. They'd be paying attention to this shit, right? Yeah. Why don't yeah. you get off your ass and do something about this organized crime problem that we've got running the government? And so, uh, that is the, and you know, that really is the, you know, that wakes people up and that's, you know, technically accurate. And that's the, that's the thing. One of the things that I'm doing, different than other people that has been very, very successful in helping to communicate these ideas to friends, relatives, and loved ones. I completely agree with like some of these terms being unhelpful. And I actually believe spurred upon by government, like, like new world order or whatever. Like I've had, will you speak at my thing? Well, what is it? We're, it's the, you know, fighting back against the new world order. No, because, because it's not going to be helpful or these, these, yeah. and I'm, I'm totally opposed to this uh, supposed vaccine that is, is really uh, a gene therapy. Um, because that's what Moderna, who, who, who filed with the SEC called it in their own filing. That's what the guy that invented it says that it is, right? Like, um, but I, you know, when you see somebody, you know, saying that it turns people into magnets and somebody's sticking a penny to them and you're going, let's say that it did turn you into magnet, go pick up a fucking penny with a magnet, right? Pennies are not made of a ferrous metal. They don't, they're not attracted. And like a lot of that stuff I think is actually spurred on. I call it the flat earth effect, right? Like I think that there's like a lot of these people that are part of this opposition. Some of them I think are just batshit crazy, but I think some of them are actually being kind of maneuvered as controlled opposition because then when you or I or people like us stand up and say, look, this is what's going on. We just get lumped in. I always said during my video today, obviously he's crazy. He's got a flag with a pirate skull and a snake on it. It says, don't tread on me behind him. You could just forget everything he has to say. And it is that kind of like, I think there's a lot of that. And I think they actually do feed these people one way or another. They might simply make sure that they become really popular, right? They'd much rather have somebody, you know, like Alex Jones screaming and flipping out all the time, be really popular than a Jack Spirico that's calm and logical and rational because he's useful to them. No matter how much he does against them, he's actually more useful to them than, than oppositional in reality. Yeah, and, and if you take a look at Alex Jones, he's using the statism. He's got the flag waving, you know, yeah. behind him. Owen Schroer wears his little American flag. Oh, the Patriots are coming back, you know. You know. It's like been going on for 30 years, nothing's changed, but you're still leading it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's using the term new world order and it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, and so, so the best the Illuminati, way that's another great one. The Illuminati. The best way to control the opposition is to lead it. Uh, ourselves, Lenin, you know, famously said that. And then the other technique that you described is known as, uh, poisoning the well, which is, is, you know, is, is trying to, is, is, you know, taking over alternative, uh, news, um, uh, uh, outlets and then having them put forth stuff that is, uh, you know, is, is batshit crazy. And then the, then that poisons everything else that comes out of the outlet or, you know, or, or just, you know, poisons, you know, gets, gets something, you know, people arguing about is the earth flat or round or whatever, instead of yeah. focusing on, you know, uh, don't focus on the matador. The matador wants you to focus on the cape. I try and keep people focused on the matador. Yeah. Yeah. And the sword that goes into yes. the bull and kills exactly. the bull and the blood that comes from the bull, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, like, censorship there. There's a lot that these people are doing to censor the Internet. They're doing it algorithmically. Uh, but I also think that, like, it also is used to build up these people 
that they want to be controlled at opposition. So like if you censor them, then people think that they have more credibility just because they were censored. So I think yeah, so like with the COVID thing, like this disinformation doesn't, um, a, a lot of those people just seem to me to be batshit crazy. There's all these legitimate things you can point to with how bad the government's reaction is, what the risks of the vaccine are, the censorship of medication that works, et cetera. But then you've got, you know, like, I can't think of her name. It was a, a short uh, black female doctor that's uh, Nigerian, I think, and she seemed like fantastic. But next thing I know, she's talking about having Fauci rolling around on the ground and demons coming out of him or something. It's like you just discredited all the credible information, and it seems like they use censorship to actually push those people to, to elevate those people. Uh, they do, and I, you know, I break it down in the book. And you know, so one, one of the things is, you know, I do a lot with visualizations and media ownership charts. And one of my things, uh, my standard uh, thing I say is, you know, if you try and explain to your friends and your family that there's six companies on the old media side, kind of print, radio, television, running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources in society, they may or may not believe you. But if you show them a media ownership chart, all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, there's six monopoly companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources in society. And they come to that, that moment of insight because they saw it with their own eyes and they come to this deeper, you know, understanding. And so on the old media side, there's these six companies running hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries. But on the new media side, You've got, uh, you know, about two to three dozen what I call DARPA front companies. And the, for those who don't know DARPA, it's the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. The Internet was a defense, a DARPA program. It was actually an ARPA program before it was ARPA. Uh, I used to work on Wall Street. I built networks for uh, trading floor technology and for uh, market data applications. I've worked at global ISPs. I've seen network maps of the Internet that anybody can see uh, from 1974. In 1974, when it was the ARPA Internet, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of institutions on the Internet in 1974. They had the internet for a long time before they gave it to the population. They'd already figured out what, uh, what companies and technologies that they had to, you know, control to be able to, you know, control perception very, very widely across the planet. And they'd already overfunded these companies with unlimited bankster money. Okay. And patents and a, and a head start, a technological head start in, in IP technology so that they could dominate how information goes. Now this is Google and there, and by the way, everything in the book, uh, government, the biggest scam in history exposed is backed up by either an eight or a 16 gigabyte, uh, uh, flash drive that we call the liberator. And on that liberator is an, is an article called how the CIA made Google that goes into the specific DARPA programs that Google came out of. And it's all, you know, referenced and backed up and everything like that. But it's Google, YouTube, Wikipedia, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Discuss, the comment engine that controls comments on thousands and thousands of websites. It's Reddit. It's Snopes, it's Amazon, it's Netflix, it's Sidewalk, 
it's, you know, I could just kind of keep going on and on, but we're going to control these dominant platforms. And by the way, all of those platforms have been caught censoring. So it's not something that's like hypothetically going on that these dominant platforms are censoring people. They've all been caught censoring. And uh, to your point about the ones that are, you know, that were kicked off, they kicked me off of Facebook my Etienne de la Boitie account in, uh, in May of 2018. And then, uh, I got kicked off in kind of the beta wave of censorship where they kicked off me. They kicked off Brian Young of, of, of high impact flicks at the same time off his YouTube channel. The first time that he got kicked off and there were some others that got kicked off in the beta test. And then. Uh, there was the beta wave and then there was the Alex Jones wave where now we're going to kick off like a small handful of people, but we're going to pick Alex Jones as the poster boy so that yeah. all, so number everybody one, everybody else is one. Everybody else is like him, right? Well, not, not just that, but it's like half the country is like, yeah, kick that yeah. guy off, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hate that mother. You know, kick yeah. him off. And so then half of the country is for censorship. And then the people that don't understand what's going on, they're like, oh, well, Alex Jones must be the, the real deal. And they're like, and so they're subscribing and like, you know, to his, to him directly and things like that. And so then that was the, that was the, the, you know, the kind of, uh, uh, launch of the censorship. And then later on that year in September, that's the night of long knives. That's when Facebook took down 500 plus pages, 290 people off of the platform. Okay. Uh, all in one day and there was a coordinated attack. So, uh, so across all of these platforms. So, uh, the free thought project, they got kicked off of Twitter and they got a strike against their YouTube channel all on the same day they got kicked off Facebook. So, sure. so these, platforms are working together as a cartel to censor the developing uh, alternative media and the authentic voices on the self-directed internet. So you can still get, if you understand who the authentic voices are, you can still get to their websites. You can still get, you know, maybe subscribe to their podcast on some of the podcast platforms, but you know, you're being, but those authentic voices, they're being de-indexed off of the search engines. They're being demonetized off of YouTube. They're being shadow banned on Twitter or on Facebook. To yeah, and let me say something about the shadow ban too. That's actually what they do to a lot of people like myself that are reaching people, but they don't want to elevate you. Like if you ban me, go ahead, because I know it'll actually make things better for me. I, I realized years ago, I'd say it's about 2017 with Twitter, and I'm like, I've got like 38,000 followers or something like that. And I do a tweet, and it reaches, you know, 300 people. Mm. You, you're full of shit. Like, I'm sorry. No. Like, I could see it not doing well. But, like, because you can see how many people even saw it. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I, it's ridiculous. Or I had a uh, – the, the, for the podcast, I had a page on Facebook, 110,000 uh, followers. You put out a, a, a post on it, and it reaches less than a thousand people. That's you, how they do. That's how they do it. Do it. So, so I've never, I've never put any energy into a lot of these managed. No, I walked away from all of them. I, I use alternative platforms. So I'm, I, so they, I, my YouTube channel's still up, but I only have 270 subscribers to it, but I still see video counts go backwards. I get an email <laughs> from YouTube saying a comment has been posted and then I go and that there's no comment. Uh, 
the book has really exploded. I've sold like uh, over the past six months, the book has gone like thermonuclear, uh, thousands and thousands of copies, 20 plus countries. But I have videos on YouTube where the view count hasn't moved in two years. One of them is called The Biggest Secret of the Secret Service, and uh, that I expose that the Secret Service knows that the government's organized crime in a really funny way. And that, that view count has not moved in two years it was a speech that I gave in 2019. And so like, like I'm, I'm going, you know, I, everybody that I know in the alternative media, and I know a lot of folks cause I go to all the conferences and I go to a lot of the you know, major events and everything. They're all seeing the exact same level of, of algorithmic censorship on their account. And so you're seeing certain people being promoted while other people are being crammed down by the algorithms. Yeah, absolutely. I, I noticed that with, with you. I mean, I don't, I don't not reach people on YouTube, but I don't reach anywhere near what the subscriber count would indicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two strikes. So I got one more, I guess, and I'm out of there anyway. And right now, YouTube is how I get my content easily on Odyssey. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, at, at some point we need to, we need to break away from that. I've been saying for years, I guess going back six, seven years, ban us all. I dare you. Like yeah. that would be the best thing because then. Then all of these alternatives might actually take off, but um, I want to talk about doing it else. slowly and surely. I mean, so, yeah. so 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 be careful what you wish for because they're doing it slowly and surely. And the other thing that they're doing is that they're going to buy any platform that pops up and is able to reach eyeballs. And so, you know, Google bought YouTube for $1.6 billion. That would probably be 5 billion plus today when they had less than 100 employees and a handful of servers because YouTube was reaching eyeballs that they didn't control. And that that's really the name of the game is we're controlling. Google also needed to dispose of cash. The the FTC was threatening to make them a mutual fund because they had too much cash on hand. That was one, that was the reason they gave their investors because it didn't look like a good buy when they did it because of what you just said. Uh, but they certainly were then able to turn it into the number one uh, way in the world that people communicated. I'd say it's 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 a bigger way that people communicate than Facebook and Twitter put together because it is a video only platform and video mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful because one what video brings to the table but but also because like what we're doing today maybe we throw this video up on youtube as well right but most people that listen to something like this even if it's on youtube they just look they'll open another tab they listen to the audio so Mm -hmm. audio is the thing that you can multitask with like a person can be working and listen to audio or gardening or you know taking a walk or whatever and it makes the audio component of it incredibly powerful and other than podcast platforms, there's nothing else that really competes at all. And you know, I, I agree completely. I'm a podcast, uh, I'm a podcast, regular podcast listener so that I can multitask and absorb information while I'm doing it. Uh, but I did, uh, you know, I did a, uh, video with James Corbett, uh, entitled, um, uh, what was it? It was, uh, uh, vi- um, visual learners. But if you do visual learners and James Corbett and Boadie squared, you'll see it. But the, that was one of the most powerful, you know, uh, videos that I've ever done because we shared all of the visualizations in the book and people could actually see 
the six companies running hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries. They could see how the reporters and the editors and the publishers and dozens and dozens of ostensibly independent, unaffiliated uh, media companies are all tied together through the Council of Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group and the Trilateral Commission. They could and you could you're, you know, you can use visualization to make something that was invisible now visible. And then once you can see how all of these reporters and editors and publishers are all tied together, you know, with these three organizations that, you know, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was a member of, then all of a sudden you can understand, oh, I guess they could all be lying about the COVID. Oh, I guess they could all be lying about 9-11. Oh, I guess they are all in on it when you see how they're all in on it. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole all in on it argument of, you know, it would take all these people. No, it wouldn't take all these people because, you know what, you'd, it, I'm talking about me or you because we're self employed, but the average person, when they go to work every day, you know what you do at your desk? Whatever the hell they tell you to. Right. Okay. So you don't have to have all the employees of CNN and MSNBC or whatever in on it. All you need to say is, here's your piece of paper from the AP today. Sit down, shut up, and read this. And that's yeah. exactly what they're going to do because the, the whole system has trained them to be that way. I want to shift gears here toward the end, though, and talk a little bit more about the solution side of things, what mm -hmm. we can do. And you keep using a term, voluntarist or voluntarism or voluntarist, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what do you mean when you use that term? I, I have two meanings for it. One, all actions between all people should be voluntary. But uh, I also mean it, it's the word I use instead of anarchist so I don't scare normies off, right? Uh, so, so, yeah. so, so what do you mean when you say voluntarist? So, you know, you have a very sophisticated audience, so I can say that, you know, voluntarism is essentially another way of saying anarchy. Uh, but the word anarchy doesn't mean no rules. The word anarchy means no rulers. And because the rulers don't want the population to understand there's an option on the menu called no rulers, they have used their control of the dictionary and control of the this media propaganda system to literally change the word for no rulers to mean chaos, dystopia, dogs and cats sleeping together in the streets, craziness, Mad Max, that, you know, the purr. I, I used the term, they're going to have puppy kittens. That's how bad it is, right? You know? <laughs> it, 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 so, so it really is. And I actually, in the book, I break down how they have changed the meaning of the word over time by comparing the 1827 definition of the word anarchy from the Webster's dictionary with the current, you know, version of the definition of anarchy from the Merriam Webster's de uh, 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 dictionary. So you can see how they even, you know, control the dictionary. And then I break down who owns the dictionary and it's the Safra banking family. And, uh, and the former chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations sits on the editorial advisory board. And so we're controlling perception widely and we have unlimited, you know, they've got unlimited banker money, unlimited, they print it out out of thin air. And so we'll buy the dictionary and the encyclopedia and, and YouTube and whatever it takes because that ability to control perception That's what makes them all the money. That's what gets people to willingly go along with it and to get tricked into something that is obviously not in their interest. Yeah, it's interesting when you start proposing solutions like this, the objections people will give you. I have a family member who's a cop, and you know he's as good as cops get. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And we were talking one time, I think it was like around a holiday, Halloween, not Halloween, Christmas or Thanksgiving, something like that, or 
maybe after Christmas around New Year's and we're all sitting around drinking and, uh, we're, I, t- I was talking about how private security could basically replace, replace what they do. And mm-hmm. his objection to it was, well, there has to be a consistency and, and a uniformity when you go from one place to another, because if there isn't, then no one knows what to do. And that's why you need the police. And I'm like, really? So, and, you know, I reach in my pocket and I pull out a, a pocket knife and I say, so if you catch me with this in my pocket, what happens? And he's like, absolutely nothing. I'm like, well, why not? Because it's completely legal. There's no reason you can't have it. It's just, it's a pocket knife. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so do you realize that if I take this pocket knife and I put it in my baggage and I fly to Massachusetts and I get out and I don't know that Massachusetts is batshit crazy and I take the same pocket knife, put it in my pocket, drive down the street, speed, get pulled over for speed and cop pulls me out for one other reason, searches me, I'm now being done up on a state felony. He goes, I didn't know that. I said, well, that's true. You can, you can check with some of your cop friends up in Massachusetts about this shit, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so what's the uniformity there? And he kind of stared at his glass and I reached over and picked up a bottle of bourbon and gave him about three fingers and said, when you're done with that, I'll come back and you can tell me what you've come up with and walked away, you know? And he just sat there perplexed because, you know, the, the, the argument that it needed to be consistent, I'm like, it's not even consistent between freaking Fort Worth and Dallas, right? There's all these different arbitrary rules, rules everywhere you go. And you're supposed to know what they are when you cross a boundary. And this is your reasoning where we can't have private security. And private security would do things like enforce property rights and enforce, you know, your bodily rights that somebody doesn't harm you. That would be all they would do because that's all anybody would be willing to pay them to do. And so, so the other part of volunteerism is the understanding that the world is a self-organizing system. It produces spontaneous order and that everything the government does besides redistribution, you cannot rob Peter to pay Paul. But whether you're talking about armed protective services that they call the police or whether you're talking about dispute resolution that they call the courts or whether you're talking about roads or air traffic control, all of that can be done and would be done better, cheaper, faster by the free market, by mutual aid societies, by nonprofits, by real charities. And because people are spending the money directly, uh, you know, they're going to get a better, you know, outcome, whether it's a longer lasting road or whether it's going to be more polite, you know, logic based police. And the simplicity that you're talking about is another, you know, there's another program that we support called the Thick Red Line Project. And the Thick Red Line Project is educating the police on natural law. And that's the uniform thing that needs to be the same everywhere. And in natural law, there's five main transgressions. There's murder, rape, theft, assault, and trespass. And all of those are obviously wrong and uh, because there's a victim. Um, and if there wasn't a victim, the, the word right also comes from the natural law tradition. And if it's not a wrong, it's your right to do whatever you want to do as long as you're not harming, harming anybody else. And you have the right to be left alone by the government. And if the police would just go back to protecting life, liberty and property and not using violence on peaceful people for victimless crimes, then number one, it would restore respect for the police. But number two, it would get rid of all of the racial and societal division that is caused by the police and the sheriffs, you know, uh, enforcing victimless crimes for politicians. And in natural law, if you're using violence on somebody that's not hurting anybody else, it doesn't matter that you're wearing a tin badge and a costume. Um, you're the bad man. 
you're the one that's violating natural law. You're the one that's causing harm in the universe. It makes you the bad person. And so you can have police because I have the right to protect my life, liberty and property. So I can because I have that right. I can delegate it to Brinks or ADT or West Tech or Garda or some other private security company that would happily provide armed protective response. A lot of them already do it today. It'd be 50 bucks a month. It'd probably come with an alarm system, you know, over time kind of thing. And so you, you know, and, and if, and when you call 911, you're still going to have an armed guy with a gun, but he's only got the same rights that you do. You don't have the right to tell your, you know, neighbor whether he could be having a poker game or can smoke cannabis or whatever it is. So you can't delegate that right to your protection company to exercise on your behalf because you don't have it. And so it's logical. It's consistent. It's yep. moral. It is the way of the future. And it's been a beach ball. They've been trying to hide and, and hide from the population going back to the 1800s in France where they made it illegal to even use the word anarchist. So they made it illegal <laughs> to use the word in speech because they didn't uh, want anybody to know that there's an option on the menu called no rulers. And it's a lot more moral and logical and you're going to be a lot richer. And that's, I guess, the final message that I would leave with your audiences is that uh, that that volunteerism delivers the goods and that everybody would be much, much wealthier in society if they weren't having half of their income stolen in Overt taxes, which is the 1040 and the income tax and the state income tax, et cetera. But then there's the hidden taxes of every time you, you know, buy a beer or pack of cigarettes or, a, you know, you buy a gallon of gas or you pay your telephone bill or your cable bill or your cell phone bill or you rent a car or you buy an airline ticket or all like little hidden taxes, et cetera. But the worst tax of all is the inflation tax where, where the bank, where the government, you know, where banks lobbied and bribed the government to give them a monopoly on the creation of currency credit in the United States to engage in something called fractional reserve banking, even though it's inflationary and even though it's stealing the value out of everybody's money. And if we didn't have a crooked banking system, then everybody's dollar would be buying more every single year instead of buying less every single year and we would be fabulously wealthy as a society and we wouldn't you would we'd have more than enough surplus to take care of the poor the needy and the disadvantaged and because you're spending it at the local level with charities that you know work and that you're right there to see, you know, make sure they're doing the right thing with the money instead of having this organized crime middleman in Washington, D.C. take his nasty cut, you know, you would have way, way better results. And so, so volunteerism is the thing that frees us. Uh, it is the, it is the, the, the thing that exposes the illegitimate, illegitimacy and immorality of the government. And it is the thing that is going to give the, the market unleash the capital creation mechanisms of the market unleash the invisible hand of the market uh to to you know create a way more diverse economy where there's more than enough jobs for anybody that wants them and that your dollar buys more and more every single year as productivity improvements and innovations reduce the costs of producing the goods and services that people want so the one objection I've never had a complete answer for from anybody that's opposed to voluntarism or anarchism is, well, how do you prevent a state from reconstituting? 
and so the, the justification I've heard from Menarchists is, well, you need a Menarchist state. If you don't, nature abhors a vacuum and you're going to get a giant state. My, my view with that, that's like saying, let's implant a little bit of cancer in your body to prevent the big cancer from coming. And, and my view is also that the most tyrannical governments always start out as the most libertarian. Because the prosperity that libertarianism brings creates the opportunity for wealth seizure that makes the totalitarian state possible. So if you look at the U.S., as, as much problem as we had 150 years ago, it was hard to think of a place you could go and have more individual liberty for most, not all, um, than here. And today, there is not China is not a bigger surveillance state than, than we are. They're, they're at least honest about their tyranny, right? We mm. we have this, you know, velvet-covered steel freaking glove that we clobber people with. And so I don't – and I, I look at humans and realize how weak humans tend to be, and I wonder what does it take if we could wave a magic wand and, and do it sanely. So let's say we had a 10- or 20-year descent uh, out of this into a full free state – How do you prevent that from reconstituting like the Terminator where they blew the Terminator up and like all the little blobs came back together and then the Terminator's back together? You know, nobody is born thinking that having a ruling class sitting over them, whether that ruling class is communist or democratic socialist or monarchy or whatever, is a good idea. Uh, it is a completely indoctrinated worldview. Like the, it has been, it has been mandatorily taught to the overwhelming populations on the planet. And I think once you, once you, once you free one state and you see all of the wealth and the prosperity that is generated by the free market and free people, et cetera, it's going to be impossible to hide from others. And the, the, an equally good kind of thought experiment that I hear people say as well is, well, we have to have a state to protect us from China and Russia because they have a state and everything like that. And, uh, to which I always respond, you know, it's not the, it's not the Russian government, the Russian government versus the people of the United States or the, the, you know, the U.S. government versus the people of Russia. It's the Russian government versus the Russian people menacing them with the specter of the United States. It's the United States government versus the United States people menacing them with the specter of Russia. And that once you expose that widely that government is a scam because nobody likes to get chumped. Like once one country throws off government, especially if it's the United States, and that's where it's going to be. We're going to get rid of government here in the United States first. And once that spreads that government is a scam, it is going to spread through the world like wildfire. And you're going to see all of these governments get overthrown when people realize that they have been played, they have been chumped, they have been robbed, that they've been being tax farmed for 50% of their income and overt taxes, covert taxes and inflation. You're going to see that spread through the planet like wildfire. And you're going to see all of these governments fall Because they're all in on it. They're all running the same game on their own people. And so I think that's one of the reasons why people are being locked down right now. And that's why you're seeing this is they're trying to stop the flow of people figuring out that that the scam of government is uh, has been that from the beginning. I think there's also some level to this where there was a time in history when anarchism was a way of life, like, and people say it wasn't because, well, there was tribes, this or whatever, like, yeah, and that's, 
that's this individual decision-making hierarchy that we form amongst groups. If we had 50 people sitting here on my property and, and my neighbors weren't here and we had a couple hundred acres to ourselves, we would appoint certain leaders to certain tasks that were more predisposed to that. So we live that way for the majority of human history. And, and science tells us civilization is about 10,000 years old. But even 5,000 years ago, most of the most of the people on the planet were not inside civilization and government hierarchy. It was a natural state. The other side of it was it was a pretty hard life in some situations to make a living, to be able to feed your kids, etc. And the pseudo-civilizations, the first like farming, agricultural things where they brought more people together than the land could naturally support, created a situation where if you if you did things wrong, everybody starves or half the people starve next year or one illness comes in and half people are dead. And so I think people made the deal with the devil as that transitional state occurred. And now we act as if all this technology, all this capability, all this knowledge never happened, and we still need the magical rulers to chant so the glacier will go backwards or something, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's still the, the mindset that's being used to conjure this and control this. And, and, and that's what I think leads people to this idea that we need government, like we have to have it. And I think it's so dangerous because I honest to God believe if they could somehow pass a law that said children start entering the government education system now at six months of age, when most kids can't walk, they can barely crawl. Mm-hmm. And and they had their first class was how to pull yourself up, and your second class was how to walk three steps and not fall on your face, and your you know your your, your next class after that was how to how to how to walk across the room, and then your next class was how to run and how to not put stuff in your face and eat things that you shouldn't eat. If you did that for five generations, and you said, hey, we need to get rid of this, we don't need this. We, we can have parents take care of their kids at least till they're five years of age, like the, like my great great granddad Jackie's to do. People would say, "How will children learn to walk without government?" Yeah, that's yeah. how powerful the brainwashing is. And like, I just wonder how many things right now that people look at and they go, "Well, how could we do that without government?" It's just as stupid as if in this this dystopian future I just described, somebody said, "Well, how how would a child learn to to walk without government?" As though humans just like crawled everywhere for the first, you know, 250,000 years of their existence or something. And and people will go, I, honest to God, dude, I believe if they pulled that off in four or five generations, the average person would think there's no way children can learn to walk without the state. And that's the way the state wants to raise you. And most people that, that, you know, say, oh, volunteerism would never work is because they've never been exposed to these ideas and they've never thought about how could you have courts and armed protective services without the government? How could you have dispute resolution without the government? How could you have air traffic control without the government? By the way, Canada has privatized their air traffic control and there's no planes dropping out of the sky in Canada. And so, so the market proves that you can do all of these things, but most people have never really thought about it before. So they've remained trapped in this paradigm that was indoctrinated into them in an unethically manipulative program as a child. And we're, you know, we're exposing what has been the best kept secret in American politics is voluntarism. We don't need government. And not only do we not get need government, but we would be way wealthier and there'd be way less conflict in society 
if there wasn't this oppressive authoritarian system called government? You know, what you made me think of there was a few years ago, they passed a law in Texas that was basically a, a, a removal law. Like, so up until that point, one of the things that increased construction costs was if you were building a new home or a building or whatever, anybody that touched anything inside that building that would be considered plumbing had to be a licensed plumber as though a random person can't run a piece of PEX pipe and, and, and cramp something on it. And they removed that law and they said that a plumber would still have to basically sign off on the plumbing. But you didn't need plumbers to do all the work. And, oh, my God, the freaking out that people did as though, like, houses were going to be swallowed up in sinkholes now or something. And, of course, they, they repealed the law. And then what happened? Absolutely nothing. Like, literally nothing has occurred because, you know, Bill is able to run a piece of PEX between the, the framing that Bill installed, right? Bill's qualified to put the sticks up that hold the whole house up but he can't run a piece of PEX pipe without, you know, risking human life. And you see this over and over where we do get these victories, where we do repeal these laws. Texas just um, a couple days ago, it went into effect. You can carry a gun in Texas, no permit, no license, no nothing. If you're not a felon, you haven't ever assaulted anybody, what have you, you can take a gun, you can put it on yourself, you can carry it around. And we've been hearing all year long the world is going to end when this happens. And you're like, you know, over 20 other states already have this, right? Mm-hmm. And, but this mindset that once something's in place, if you take it away, the world will end is, I, I think it's something that actually is primarily built into human beings that we fear things we don't understand. We fear yeah. things we don't know. Like in the beginning of time when humans started running around in little packs and stuff, like the guy that was like, I don't think that snake's dangerous. He died. Right. So there was like, you know, don't pick the big snake up because the big snake bites you, you die. But there gets to be a point where like, okay, well, like 90% of the snakes won't kill you if you pick them up and they might be useful for something. And we get held back from all of that by this primal instinct. And we, again, we lose sight of the fact that like how much we've learned as a species in 10,000 years and how different the world is now than it was when these psychopaths were able to originally take over. And, and we didn't have all of this knowledge. We didn't have all this technology. We didn't have all these ways to do things. And I think the first thing they really did was they, they, they brought agriculture in. That gave them grain bills. It gave them currency. It gave them money. It gave them something that had to be protected. It gave them something that could be quantified. It gave them something that could be put away. It gave them a way to pay people, control people, distribute everybody's ration of grain like they did in Rome. That was that way predated Rome. And that whole system is still around today. And it's like we talk about coming like, you learn in school about like the feudal system and all and like how that went away. And it's like, man, all of this, the base level control mechanism is no different now than it was during, you know, the time of, you know, imagine Machiavelli, Socrates, going back to ancient Greece, like this control mechanism is the same. It's a playbook. And so, I mean, this, this is, you know, this is kind of the point of the book. I mean, we're exposing in the book what the playbook is. So it starts with 20 techniques used in, in, in the United States is running the exact same playbook as Nazi Germany, as East Germany, as the Soviet Union. And then once you see that right next to each other, cause we actually show you what it looked like in Nazi Germany, the East Germany and the Soviet Union. And you're like, Oh my God, the United States is running the exact same playbook that the Nazis and the Soviets and the East Germans ran. I thought those were the bad guys. And then you really understand, oh, it's a playbook. They're running game on me. Yeah, I mean, 
I, when I, I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I was growing up. I always thought like if you were in Russia, it was always dark and gray, you know, and people were being watched everywhere they went all the time. And they were, but I mean, not the way I saw it. Like I thought you literally couldn't go out on the street by yourself without like a cop following you or a KGB agent following you or something like there was no freedom. There was no liberty anywhere except where I lived. And, you know, growing up in the seventies and eighties, you, you can understand why I would think that way. Our entire system was designed to make us think that. And one of the things the internet did is like, so you, You can actually like look at a street camera in, you know, Moscow now and see people walking around like, hey, nobody's telling that person where to go, but they're still being controlled. And, yeah. and so they did teach you that person was being controlled. They just didn't tell you you were, too. And, and I think we have a much broader window into that now. We have much more. You know, I think it was Mark Twain said that, that travel was was deadly to prejudice. Mm-hmm. And we have the ability to virtually travel now and see these things. And then the way you put it together in the book is is very useful because you think of like when somebody tells you the Nazis were evil, you're never like, no, they weren't. Right. Unless there's something wrong with you. But then when you say, okay, here's what they did. Here's what the East Germans did. Here's what the United States did. And again, I think you have that same reaction that I did to that episode of Yellowstone where the, the Native American woman was talking about Columbus's own journals where you're like, nah. but it's, it's still true. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. And of course you don't like it. It's been done to you. Not in, and, and to your, you know, to, to your point, um, how about the people that still think that they live under liberty and freedom, even though they're getting half of their income stolen in overt taxes, covert taxes and inflation and are having a myriad of ridiculous, illogical rules and regulations and monopoly privileges, you know, forced upon them while other companies get a pass for it and get exemptions. And, you know, uh, you know, it's just, it's in, and, and they're like freedom. Thank God I'm an American. At least I know I'm free. <laughs> at least I know I'm no, free. I'm right free. Now. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 I, I hate saying this because I'm not, you know, I, I did grow up that patriotic, you know, mindset like born on the 4th of July mindset as a kid you know and and I was very proud of my country I was very proud of my family's military service very proud of, of my decision to join the military I, I'll still say today that I got some very useful things out of my time in the military but I also understand the whole purpose and the whole point of this now is not for my benefit nor the people that I thought I was helping it's for the benefit of the few that control the, the masses Um, I, I do want to talk to you about one more thing before we go, and that is I know you are, work with the Free State Project, and I've worked with mm-hmm. them for a long time. I've spoke at Liberty Forum, I think, three times. Um, yeah. They're actually a sponsor of the show. But you're also part of something that I think is tied in with them, but I didn't know anything about it. It's called the Pre-State Project. What's what's that about? So my organization is called the Art of Liberty Foundation, and we're a startup Uh, public policy organization kind of think tank. And, and so, uh, the pre-state is how do you win the whole thing? And so how do we, how do you combat the fact that we're up against a monopoly media system, six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries, you know, uh, uh, to give the illusion of choice and the algorithmic censorship of the, of the media. And so what I did is I designed the book. Part of the design of the book is it can be dropped off at somebody's door. And I, you know, you've seen it. It's so visually compelling that once they pick it up, they're like absolutely like hooked. And then, 
you know, the way that it's written and the, you know, the, the, the topics, the way they flow and everything, it's how do you take somebody from like zero to 60 in the shortest amount of time to where they come to that moment of insight. And so the free state project for those that of your, you know, listeners that don't know is, uh, is a organization that is, uh, has 24,000 plus libertarians, voluntarists, uh, constitutionalists that have, said, hey, we need to concentrate ourselves in one place, that place being New Hampshire. So there was a kind of a bake off and they said, what, you know, what is the easiest state that, that we could take over? And they estimated that it would take about 10,000, you know, people concentrated in the state to be able, 20,000 people concentrated in the state to be able to have an impact. And so they looked at states that had sub 1.5 million populations. And then that idea took off and people started moving to New Hampshire in 2003 and they were called uh, early movers. And right now there's over 5,000 plus liberty activists on the ground in New Hampshire. And so uh, in my previous uh, life, I used to be a productivity expert for Fortune 500 companies and I put on my productivity expert had and I said, how do you accelerate the free state project? And I developed an idea, a concept that I called the pre-state project. And it's the idea that that to get around the algorithmic censorship of the internet, to get around the monopolization of the media, the only way to do it is a brute force attack on censorship. You've got to go door to door. You drop off a picture book, a credit card size flash drive that backs up all, everything in the book with documentaries, books and PDF, everything that's being censored off of the internet right now, being de-indexed by the search engines, being, you know, uh, shadow banned by Twitter, et cetera. You put it all onto a flash drive, you get it into the, all the evidence of government criminality and illegitimacy into the, you know, into the hands of the people. And then you drive people to town hall meetings. And for about a million bucks, we could drop a hundred thousand copies of the book, a hundred thousand flash drives, a hundred thousand documentaries and do 36 town hall events in a dozen cities in New Hampshire. And so in one place, we just break this algorithmic censorship of the internet and this, in this monopolization of the media by going door to door in a, in a targeted way. And so, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, the other, you know, the, you know, one of the things I learned working at one of the big four think tanks in DC in my youth was you don't have to win everybody. You just have to win the intelligentsia, the entrepreneurs, the business executives, the bloggers, the vloggers, the culture creators. And so you can target them using modern demographic science and you can, and then once they go, that once they turn, they pull the rest of society with them. And oh yeah, everybody knows about voluntarism. You know, oh, yeah, I'm a voluntarist, of course. Yeah, yeah. Jack Spurka's voluntarist. I'm a voluntarist. You know, I, whoa, hey, all the cool kids are voluntarists. And so, like, once the cool, once once you wake up the cool kids, everybody else comes along with them. And so, uh, so that's that's how I think you can win the whole thing. Uh, we can win everywhere. But we have to win somewhere first, and I think the easiest place for us to win is New Hampshire because of the concentration of libertarians, voluntarists, minarchists, etc., and because of the social and political networks that they have already built in the state. And so we just absolutely pump them up. So it's a lot quicker to get people to – 
to, you know, instead of getting people to move to New Hampshire, which I'm not, I'm, I, I support that 100%. I've gotten people to move from around the world to New Hampshire, from as far as Paris, France to New Hampshire. And so, uh, uh, I'm not saying we stop doing that. What I'm saying is the way to, way to accelerate it is to expose the illegitimacy and criminality of government to the libertarian leaning in the state that are already there expose yeah. to them what's going on get around the you know the censorship and the monopolization of media uh by going door to door it's cost effective and it's proven we already know the book works the book is waking up people all over the you know all over the planet we we've, we've been selling books 20 plus countries people are buying them uh by by in fives and tens we've sold over 800 we've had 100 plus people buy 800 plus books they're putting them in libraries they're putting them in little mini libraries in neighborhoods they're making them coffee table books in airbnbs they're putting them uh uh on in, in cafes they're putting them like all over the place so we are already know that it's working and so now let's pour gasoline on the fire let's free one state let's win in one single state even if you're in cal you want it you want freedom in california let's win in new hampshire first you want freedom in new york city let's win new hampshire first it is the most cost effective fastest way to freeing everybody is to free one single state first you can find out more about that at artofliberty.org and uh you can uh uh find out uh, uh more about thick red line at thickredline.org and you can get the book at government-scam.com well great and i i completely agree with you um like i said fsp is a uh, a sponsor of the show and i every time i talk about them i say liberty anywhere is good for liberty everywhere um, yeah. and i think there's definitely that and you want to tell people you gave them a bunch of websites there i'll make sure they're all in the show notes but how can they get a, a, a copy of the book? Uh, where do they go to do that? And, uh, and how do they get a hold of this? We, so the, the book is at government dash government hyphen scam.com and they can download a free preview edition of the book. We, it's 90% of the book. We remove some of the pages to encourage people to get it in hard copy. And also if you're trying to wake somebody up, then the best way to do it is to give it to them in hard copy because they can't put it down the way they can just delete your email. They're not going to, they're not going to go back and read your email. They're not going to, you know, whatever. But if you give them a hard copy book that is visually engaging, once they pick it up, they can't, uh, you know, they can't put it down. Um, and so not only can you get the free preview of edition at government-scam.com, but you can also download all of the contents of the eight and 16 gig, uh, liberator flash drive for free at government-scam.com forward slash liberator, where we've got evidence of government criminality and illegitimacy, but we've also got some of the best works on exactly how voluntarism delivers the goods and how, how voluntarism can provide everything that you want monopoly government to provide better, faster, cheaper, except for redistribution. You can't have, re you can't have, you know, a government robbing Peter to pay Paul. But everything from the roads to armed protective services to dispute resolution to air traffic control would be but done better, faster, cheaper, and we'd all be much richer without the scam of government hanging over our heads. I agree, and I'd say with the book, one of the one of the little nefarious things you could do to spread this with a copy of the book is you mentioned lending libraries and stuff like that. 
I think it's more men than women, but men, we have this predisposition that the bathroom is our library. Take yeah. your normie friends, get a copy of this book and set it right on the back of the tank in the, in the bathroom. And sooner or later, they're going to pick it up and read it. If I ain't got nothing in the bathroom, I'll read the damn back of a shampoo bottle. So one way or another, let's spread this message. Dude, I appreciate yeah. you being with us today. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Uh, for people. And this has been one of the better interviews of 2021. I thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you, Jack. It's been a pleasure. Well, I do have uh, links, like I said, to all of Etwan's links in the uh, show notes today. And I do recommend you get a copy of the book uh, and read through it and maybe share it with some of your friends or maybe use it for some activism. But I, I, I honestly believe that Society is actually moving toward greater liberty. It's hard to see because government's moving toward greater tyranny. But I think part of the reason government is on the march as much as it is right now is because of how much progress is being made. And the progress is not so much seen in, let's say, the, the streets, but in the minds of people. Um, I, 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 I get really hard on people sometimes because I do think that the indoctrination is so severe that there are people that are at this point they're beyond reach they're beyond reach and those people seem to be some of the most vocal and i think it's because they fear losing the control that they have through mob rule which is a lot of what we have going on today um but this is an incremental thing it is something that has to be done over time I still consider it seventh generational thinking and i think it's noble and worthy of doing i've dedicated my life to helping spread the message of liberty through the survival podcast. It's, you know, no matter what I'm doing on this show, when I'm speaking like we were today, directly addressing the situation, when I'm informing you about ways to take care of your health that you would otherwise not know about, when I'm talking about building a business and how to work the tax system to your advantage, all of the things that we teach, how to, how to grow things in a garden or hydroponically, it doesn't matter. It's all about individual liberty. Um, my, my biggest belief, the biggest thing that drives me in the world is a simple statement. Liberty is precious. Liberty is precious, so fight to keep it. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always support us when you're doing your online shopping by starting that shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And... Um, Today, I have the same item I did for you yesterday. It's the Champion 2,000-watt dual-fuel inverter generator. It's ultralight. It's amazing. It's inexpensive, uh, and it runs on gas, and it runs on propane out of the box. No special kits, nothing like that. It's on sale right now for $444 with free shipping. It's totally worth getting. I give you the rundown on how you can get two of them for less than the cost of a single Honda 2200i, um, and how you can even get the parallel kit that lets you run two of them as though they're a single generator and still have the ability to separate them and still cost less than the Honda. Um, is, is the champion generator as good as the Honda? No. Is the Honda two and a half times better? No. Would I rather have two champion 2000s or one Honda 2200? Um, I'll take the two champion uh, 20, 2000s, absolutely, without a doubt. Um, I don't own a champion generator now, and I don't own this one. This is one that came up in kind of a deal-of-the-day alert for me, uh, but I have owned champion generators in the past. I am very happy with uh, one went away kind of with the RV that I used to have. I, I bought them together, and it never let me down. And they're a fantastic, well-thought-of generator. And I would say they're probably 
you know, if you wanted me to put a percentage on it, how, what percentage of quality overall reliability is the Champion compared to the Honda? It's 90% the quality of the Honda for, for 35% the price. You know what we call that, folks? Price-to-value ratio in your favor. So check this out. And remember, no matter what you buy, you can always help support us by just doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. All right. So I wanted to pick a song today that kind of fit in what, with what we were talking about. And it's not a direct fit. It's more of an indirect fit. It's more pointing out how many people are still controlled by these systems of control, completely controlled by them. It's a song by Green Day from all the way back in 2004, and it's called, some of you already guessed it, American Idiot. And it is how the system of propaganda is used to control the mind of the population. Um, we were ramping up into the Afghanistan and Iraq wars when this song came out, and people considered this to be anti-American, anti-patriotic music, because it was speaking out specifically a bunch about all of the mind control, but specifically it was directed at the war effort, which has now ended in a complete catastrophe, with nothing changed for the better, at the cost of countless numbers of lives, tremendous amount of America's blood and treasure, and is an ongoing fiasco. But it was unpatriotic at the time, right? And this song works today as well as it did back in 2004, almost 20 years ago. And I have to say, being a child of the 70s and 80s, if you went back to 1984, it worked perfectly fine then, almost like there's this continuum of control that we were talking about today. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.